All right, we'll go ahead and get started with class. This is lesson seven of our marriage class going through Paul Tripp's book, Marriage, Six Gospel Commitments Every Couple Needs to Make. Does anybody need a copy of the handout tonight? I think I got around to most of you, so we should be good. There are more up here if you change your minds. And uh, there is one extra copy of the book if uh, anybody wants to use that tonight. You forgot yours at home or whatever, so help yourselves. Uh, all right, so uh, just a quick review as we get started. Um, we've been thinking about how the gospel shapes the way we view marriage. So marriage, I'll have to say that correctly tonight, marriage. Um, first four chapters, uh, the way I summarize them anyway, uh, gives us kind of the foundation for marriage, how the gospel shapes our expectations, right? So that's the bad news, that I am a sinner the good news that Christ died for my sins and rose again, and then the response to trust Him. And that really shapes the way I view marriage. There's going to be sin in my marriage. Christ is the Savior to whom we must look, and growth in our marriage comes as we trust Him and follow His commands uh, for marriage as well. So we talked a lot about that in the first few weeks. Then we got into the commitments, uh, the marriage commitments that we've been talking about. The first one was uh, living a regular lifestyle of confession and forgiveness. And we talked about that in chapters 5 and 6. And then last week, we talked about uh, commitment number two. We will make growth and change our (laughs) agenda. And so what was the metaphor we used last week for that growth and change? Yeah, weeding and seeding, right? Pulling weeds and planting seeds. And uh, I really like the way the commitment is stated, growth and change, our, our agenda, our plan. A lot of times in life, like the way I look at things is like, I want to get into a groove, right? I want to find a good way to do something, settle in, just find a pattern, I can get comfy. But that reminds us, well, that's not so much the goal with marriage. The goal is to be making progress, growing and changing. And so kind of it begs that question, where am I changing this week? What am I working on? You know, how am I growing? What weeds am I pulling? What seeds am I planting? Uh, then this week, uh, commitment number three, we will work together to build a sturdy bond of trust. And yes, we will attempt to cover chapters nine and 10 tonight, uh, thinking about building a sturdy bond of trust. And actually, it, it works out well. I don't think it'll be too challenging for us to cover both chapters Chapter 9, he calls uh, sticking out your neck, which another, is another metaphor for trust, right? You're putting yourself at risk. That's the metaphor of sticking out your neck. So all the way back to like uh, knights in their armor, you didn't want to have your neck uh, be at risk of a sword blade, right? Coming down across it. And so you wanted to protect your neck and you did not want to stick out your neck because it put it at risk. Uh, And so that's where the metaphor comes into play here. When you trust someone, you indeed put yourself at risk. And uh, you could be hurt by trusting them. That's kind of the nature of trust. And so uh, he uses that metaphor to talk about the importance of of trust and even being willing to take that that risk a little bit. Uh, The metaphor of superglue kind of stuck in my head because um, super glue can be really handy. It can also be really annoying. 
Uh, and superglue in the right places creates a bond that holds something together, that repairs it, that fixes it, and it's, it's good to go and it's helpful. Uh, but trust, like glue, in the wrong things, in the wrong places, or when it's broken, can create a mess. And your fingers are stuck to all the wrong things. And uh, so getting trust right in a marriage is important. Um, in chapter 9, he, uh, he kind of, he actually lists like 22 questions uh, that are super convicting to get you thinking about trust in your marriage relationship and how it's doing. Uh, and so he kind of, he, he begins with this lengthy illustration about Christy and Will, if I remember right. I don't remember for sure, but it's like a, it's like a four-page illustration. It's long and helpful to read. I encourage you to read it. Um, and then he has this list of 22 questions. Then he spends the rest of the chapter addressing each question and why it's important. And so I will do that really quickly tonight. Here's just one comment I'll make about that list of questions. Uh, it's, a, it's a list of questions that as you read through it can, can be really convicting to yourself. It's also a list of questions that you can really easily begin to sort of self-justify too and think to yourself, oh yeah, well... My spouse definitely needs to be more trustworthy, or they really need to work on, you know, extending trust to me, and then I'd be able, you know, it's a two-way street here. They need to be more trustworthy, and then we'd be able to uh, address things and, and build. And so, I, just to start with a, a little, um, uh, warning's too strong, but just a little reminder of something I've been saying through this course best place to start in working on your marriage is with you and with your heart um, because that's what you control. You don't control your spouse, right? And um, we get into all sorts of difficulties of manipulating and controlling and all of that. So I just really encourage you to start with yourself. If we keep saying, I'll trust them once they're trustworthy or I'll be more trustworthy if they would just trust me with things or, you know, whatever. If, if we keep blaming them, what we'll do is just continue to distance ourselves from each other in marriage. If instead we say, and here's really where the theme for tonight, how has Jesus treated me? And then I'll let that guide my treatment of my spouse. So even if they're not being trustworthy, even if they're not entrusting things to me, the way I treat my spouse is dictated by how Jesus has treated me, not whether they deserve it or what's going on in this relationship. And that provides a, a steadiness to the marriage relationship because he doesn't change, right? Um, the way he treated me doesn't change. The way he's treating me doesn't change. So I just want to bring that focus to it as we go through it. Um, to be asking this question, how does my trustworthiness compare to the trustworthiness of Jesus? Is he trustworthy? Well, yeah. I mean, he's kind of the definition of trustworthy, right? So um, I need to, that's, that's what I'm pursuing. So I'm not comparing myself, well, I'm more trustworthy than my spouse. No, no, no. I need to be pursuing Christ in this. And then am I extending trust the way Christ has extended trust to me? Have you ever thought about that? We, we think of Christ as being the trustworthy one, and we're just the, the benefactors you know, of his trustworthiness. But it's actually reciprocal. 
Maybe if I put it this way, you could answer the question, how did Christ stick out his neck for you? Too obvious? Too obvious. Right. Bingo. Talk about extending trust, talking about putting his life on the line for my sake. I mean, I've always, I've always thought about Christ's trustworthiness. Oh, he's worthy of my trust. But the reciprocal of that was really, really struck me in going through this. In entrusting himself to me, he stuck his life on the line for my good and actually died for my good. I mean, talk about putting himself at risk for my benefit. He extended himself, he entrusted himself to me for my good, right? So um, that was significant to think about and uh, a, a great example for the way we entrust ourselves to our spouse, uh, even though it may mean getting hurt at times uh, because of it. So. We'll think about that more, but all right, so that's kind of the theme. We want to imitate Christ in establishing trust in our marriages. So 22 questions. Uh, let me, I'll try to go super fast here. They're on um, pages 154, if you want to try to follow along, or no, 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 151 to 153, that's where we are. So first question, is there more unity, understanding, and love in your marriage now than there ever has been? His point is that uh, when there's a strong bond of trust, the marriage will grow. Your unity will grow. Your uh, understanding, your love will all grow. Number two, do you both do what you promise in the time that you've promised? Of course, to be trustworthy, we have to keep our word. <coughs> Scripture talks about this as let your yes be yes, let your no mean no. Um, and just... Just a, a general word. He, he uses the word promise a lot in this chapter. Um, I'm not trying to like correct him or anything, but as a general rule, I would just avoid making promises. Uh, give your spouse your word and do your best to follow through on your word. We have so little control in life, it's really difficult to make promises and follow through on them. Uh, so just give each other your word and do your best to follow through on that. Um, Number three, are you attentive to what your spouse sees as important? So he points out that sin is selfish and self-absorbed, and it's difficult to trust someone while you're watching them put themselves first, right? Why would I give the, you know, entrust care of my things to them if they really only seem to care about themselves? So uh, being attentive to the other. Do you make excuses or failures to do what you promised, or are you ready to confess? This is that self-righteousness that we've talked about, that when, when my spouse brings something to me, the first thing on my mind is, well, well you got to understand, I was just trying to do this or this, you know. So we're not defending, we're not defensive, uh, but instead um, ready to confess. Number five, do you listen well to your spouse and act in, on what you've heard? Again, we look to the Lord on this. Does he ever, you know, not... Is he ever not available to hear us when we talk to him, right? We can go to him in prayer at all times. And so as a spouse, as much as possible, uh, being ready to listen and listen carefully. We'll talk later in the lesson about listening to respond versus listening to understand. And the, the difference there is different ways we can listen to one another.
Do you follow through? Number six, do you follow through on mutually agreed upon plans? Number seven, do you work together on planning and scheduling priorities or do you demand that the other do it your way? Is there cooperation, right? Two people have become one flesh, which means that all your decisions, all your plans, all your scheduling should not look like just Lance or just Carrie. It's now this new entity, this new one flesh entity. So that means everything we do ought to be somehow affected by both of us, right? So it can't just be my way all the time. So cooperating and meeting each other in the middle. Uh, Many times we want uniformity rather than unity. We talk about unity, but what we're really thinking is, you need to get on board with what I'm trying to do here, right? You need to be unified with me, where unity is actually somewhere in the middle a little bit more, okay? Number eight, do you share with your spouse your thoughts, desires, hopes, dreams, concerns, or is it easier for you to be quiet or to share with somebody else? Uh, Number nine, is there any evidence that you've withdrawn from the other in protective distance? Number 10, could your spouse say that you are good for your word and faithful to your promises? 11, do you carry wrongs around with you or do you trust one another to confront and confess? They're all, I'm going super fast here, sorry, these are good, st- good stuff. But number 12, do you ever wonder what the other is doing when not with you? He says this when commenting on this one, being trustworthy means you never feel the need to look over your shoulder to see if you're being watched. And you never feel the need to cover your tracks or rehearse your story. Trust means living with the rest that comes from knowing that neither one of you has anything to hide. And I just encourage you toward that in marriage. You may have that already, but just that openness that's like, you know what? My spouse knows everything. There's nothing to hide. It's out there. And there's, there's just a restfulness in that. You're not kind of worried about what's going to be discovered or what's over your shoulder, or who's watching, or, you know, it's just... Just get it all out there and know and be known. Uh, and that's crucial in building trust in a marriage. Uh, number 13, are you conscious of editing your words or withholding your feelings because you can't trust your spouse to deal with them properly? So kind of holding things back. You don't want to share. Is your marriage partner the best friend in your life or has your dream of this kind of companionship evaporated? 15, is your sexual relationship mutually satisfying or is it hard for you to give yourself physically to your spouse? And he talks about following that one on page 161, how intimacy actually becomes sort of this revealer of deeper issues in our relationship. And so if there are issues of trust between us, one of us is hiding something or holding something back, it's going to come out in, uh, in our intimacy as well. Uh, Number 16, do you say things to other people about your spouse that you've not communicated to him or her? Now, this is different than a mutual understanding. Hey, we need to get help. We need some counseling. I'm going to go talk to somebody. That's That's a different matter. But this is kind of behind the back of your spouse, tearing them down, talking about them when you haven't brought it to your spouse first. 17, do you look forward to sharing times together? And when have these times, and when you have these times, they are peaceful and enjoyable. 18, are there problems between you that remain unsolved because you don't have a bond of trust necessary to work together on a solution? Number 19, are you comfortable with the vulnerability that a good marriage involves? Uh, And I just add there, think of the way Jesus stuck his neck out for you, made himself vulnerable to care for you. 
Number 20, do you ever wonder if you made a mistake in marrying the person who is your spouse? 21, do you ever fear that you're being manipulated or taken advantage of in any way? And 22, do you ever wonder if your spouse cares for him or herself more than you? All of these things are signs of eroding trust in a marriage. And so that's kind of what he spends most of chapter 9 talking about. And chapter 10 sort of becomes the explanation of the, the solution. How do we then build trust? And so that's where I want to spend most of our time tonight. He does have this helpful definition in chapter 9 of what he calls street-level definition of trust. Uh, he says this, being so convinced that you can rely on the integrity, strength, character, and faithfulness of another, that you're willing to place yourself in his or her care. Uh, so that's a, that's a very practical definition of trust. Um, confidence that you can rely on somebody, willingness to place yourself in his or her care. So I just want to close chapter 9 with a few thought questions for you. As I read those questions... Um, which ones were most convicting to you personally? What areas of trustworthiness or trustfulness, that's where you extend trust to someone, which area of those do you think you need to work on? Do you struggle more to be trustworthy or to entrust yourself to your spouse? And then finally, how does Jesus' relationship with you encourage you to grow in your own trust issues? Those are just some thought questions. You don't have to answer those out loud, but things to meditate on as a result of chapter 9. All right, let's think about building trust. Did you all get these blanks? I'm about to move on. Okay. That might be the fastest chapter we've gone through right there. So that was record-breaking speeds. Chapter 10, how then do we build trust? He points out three stages you will encounter in your relationship building. Number one is kind of building that foundation, building trust. It says you want to build a strong foundation of trust together so that when you sin against one another, you've established enough trust to deal with the sin in a way that doesn't erode trust and do lasting damage. And I love the way he brings the focus to the gospel. We can extend trust in our marriage because Christ is trustworthy, right? So I can do in my marriage what he calls me to do because he is trustworthy. Uh, he gives this hopeful statement on page 170. The bright message of scripture uh, is that change really is possible. God sent his son to live, die, and rise again to give us new life and with that new life, the promise of reconciliation and restoration. Your marriage is not encased in concrete. You are not stuck. God not only calls you to change, but He has already given you everything you need to make the changes which He has called you to make. Remember, you're not alone in your struggle. He has invaded your marriage with His powerful love and transforming grace. Confess the things that have broken the trust between you and get to work building trust once again. I just thought that was really hopeful and encouraging uh, in situations where trust has been broken. God provides the foundation. And that's letter A. Getting started, we trust God. Kind of like what we talked about in, our, in the lesson on worship, right? That to, to heal things horizontally, we have to start vertically. So too with trust. Uh, the right foundation for building horizontal trust is actually first to trust God. Because he's the one that tells me to trust others and to entrust myself to others. 
And if I don't have him as, his found, as, as my foundation, I'm just going to want to keep withdrawing into myself, being self-protective and reserved and never trusting anyone. So it really begins by trusting the Lord. The Lord Jesus has been trustworthy to us and has entrusted himself to us, literally dwelling in us. I mean, talk about entrusting himself to us. He dwells in us by his spirit. And so he calls us to move toward our spouse in these ways, and that starts by trusting him, living off of his example. Next, he talks about communication. He calls this play it straight, wholesome communication. And here he gets into uh, not having hidden agenda or hidden meaning in our communication with one another. Uh, Maybe you've communicated with your spouse in such a way where you really want them to get something and you wish you just didn't have to make it clear for them, right? And so you're saying things in kind of these jaded ways, you know, waiting on them for, you know, to get it and for it to click. Uh, And he says, well, that's ultimately not helpful, is it? Uh, Just being clear. So our communication is without manipulation, right? We're not trying to draw something out of them. Uh, or to force them to act some way. Here he references Ephesians 4.29, and so if you have a Bible, you can open to that. Um, This is a great verse about communication. Ephesians 4.29. says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. So that word corrupt, another way to translate that would be unwholesome. And so the positive side of that is our communication should all be wholesome communication. Communication that builds up. I love that phrase, imparting grace to the hearers. So he, he put that really well with this statement. Wholesome communication starts with the intent of the heart. It is other-centered and other regarding communication. You say something to your spouse. This is really good. You say something to your spouse, not because you want something from him or her, but because you want something for him or her. We use our words to give grace. We use our words to build up. And that's huge. And that's a way to build trust, to be careful how you speak to one another. Letter C, be good for your word. So follow through on what you say you will do, even in the little details. Sometimes with our spouse, we tell ourselves, well, they'll understand, right? We, we tell a stranger with whom we're, we're trying to build trust, right? So let's say it's, it's your neighbor or a new coworker, and, you know, you give them your word. Yeah, I'll do this for you. I'll take care of it. Sometimes we work harder in those relationships to follow through Because with our spouse, we end up saying, well, they'll understand. Or, you know what, they've done this to me before, so it's no big deal. They'll get over it, right? But if this is the most important human relationship that we have, shouldn't we be working the hardest there to be trustworthy, to keep our word, uh, to do and follow through what we say we will do? Letter D, facing up to our wrongs. 
Again, this is what we've been talking about a lot in the, in the book. That's being, being ready to confess, ready to repent of our wrongs. Keep in mind, right, this goes back to the, the log and the speck illustration. Uh, the principle of Scripture is that your spouse has a better view of you and your sin than you do. Right? The truth of Scripture is that sin is blinding. So I know without question, that I'm going to be blind to things in my life, which just means that I have to listen with humility. And I shouldn't be surprised if my wife brings something to me and I disagree with her. (laughs) I should expect that because I'm blind to my sin. So when she brings me something and I'm saying, no, (laughs) that's not, that's not true. That's not what happened. That's not the way it is. That's not what was going on in my heart. Well, of course, that's going to be my initial response. So learn to pause and listen and reflect and say, wow, I did not see that at all. Let me think about that and reflect on which is that's you know, really what was going on in my heart. Thank you for sharing that with me. And then we talk to the Lord and really search. We're just we're so self-defensive uh, to be ready to listen to our spouse and, and uh, take responsibility for our part. That's a part of building trust. If we're constantly defending ourselves, constantly excusing ourselves, it's going to be difficult for our, our spouse to even trust that we're, that we're listening, that are taking our input seriously. Letter E, watch out for the other person. It's hard to entrust yourself to someone who is busy caring for themselves and gives little thought to others. So fight to watch out for the other. He actually talks about this as a battle. Not a battle between the husband and the wife, but a battle between my flesh and God's spirit, right? Remember in the early chapters, he talked about the two kingdoms that are at war. There's my little kingdom of self, where I'm just trying to make the world revolve around me. And then there's the kingdom of God, where I'm seeking to love others and serve others. That's where he talks about the battle lying. Am I going to let myself rule my world or am I going to serve this person? This is helpful. The battle cry of the kingdom of self is my life for me. The battle cry of the kingdom of God is my life for you. Right? This is what God did for us, isn't it? Um, rather than think of himself, right? he laid down his life to care for us. And so if I'm going to be a part of what's God, what God is doing in our marriage, then I need to be ready to lay down my life for the good of the other, to watch out for them, to serve and to give rather than thinking about myself. Letter F, keep short accounts. Keep short accounts. Again, from Ephesians 4, that section is great. Verse 26, it says, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. It's a call to keep short accounts so that you do not give the devil an opportunity. That's from verse 27. So when we let things go, they tend to build up and get more serious. See if you recognize this description. I thought this was really helpful. Bad things tend to happen when you give offenses time to marinate in your heart. You've experienced this. As you carry the offense around with you, it tends to grow in size and magnitude. As it grows, your hurt and your anger grow as well. As this is happening, you begin to rehearse the things you would like to say to the other person in defense of yourself and to help them understand what a heinous crime they have committed against you. 
Without knowing it, you're troubling your own trouble and headed to a marital explosion rather than sweet reconciliation. Because you've given the the offense time to expand, you'll talk about it in ways that are inflammatory and over the top. So rather than saying things like, hey, could we talk about what you said earlier this afternoon? When you said this, I really felt hurt by that. You say things like, you stabbed me in the back, right? Which is just an emotionally charged way of saying how you feel as opposed to gently, helpfully talking through a situation that you want to resolve, right? So he's saying, keep your accounts short so that they don't have time to kind of blow up in your heart and mind. Remember that trust is war, right? And so that kind of goes back to which kingdom are you going to serve? Galatians 5 puts it in terms of the spirit and the flesh. The flesh bring enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. Those things are pretty easy to recognize and pick out in a marriage. And I just encourage you, if you see that happening in your marriage, let the alarms go off. Ah, this is the flesh, us, in action right now. So I need to put that down in my heart and yield to God's Spirit. That's going to look like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, And so it's war, not between each other, but between your sin nature and God's spirit. And so we must rely on God's help. All right, so that's the building trust stage. All those things are helpful. Number two, protecting trust, protecting trust. He has three tips here. These are short and sweet. First one, talk. Communicate with one another. Uh, you know, we've talked about in other chapters how we get so busy, we just don't talk, right? Maybe we make time to talk about our plans or we talk about our schedules or who's picking up who from school or who's taking them to this practice or when are we doing this? We talk about those things. But actually the sharing of our hearts and open communication, um, I, I would encourage you to pursue understanding, right? Seek to know your spouse And if you head into communication with understanding as your goal, like I want to know my spouse, that works far better. So then as you share, you're seeking to give understanding. And as you listen, you're seeking to understand. If you go into a conversation with a goal, per se, um, I really want my spouse to take ownership for their sin. Now that's a good goal. But if I go into the conversation with that goal, pretty soon I'm going to start pushing, pulling, shoving in order to try to manipulate that goal to happen in the conversation. On the other hand, if I try to go into the conversation helping them to understand where I'm coming from and seeking to understand where they're coming from, that's what brings unity. That's what draws us together. So seek understanding and seek to give understanding as you talk. As you listen, let her be. A lot of times we listen to respond. Listening to respond is not loving listening. While we're listening to them, our mind is turning with how, what we're going to say back to them. Right? We're sort of keeping track. Right? Oh, she brought up that. Okay, well, I've got this evidence to prove that wrong. Oh, she's talking about this now, huh? Okay, well, I've got this and this and this to prove her wrong there. 
Oh, she wants to go there. Okay, well, I've got this and this, right? So we're doing all these things in our heads. And by the time they're done, all we have is a list of our, like, rebuttal. Okay, oh, it's my turn. You know, and we, we haven't actually let their words come in and sink in. We're not listening to understand. We're just listening to respond. So as you talk, again, this is that part of that seeking to understand. Listen to understand. And here's, here's just a little way to check yourself. Just for an experiment, your next conversation with your spouse to help you listen to understand when they finish speaking, see if you can say back to them the heart of what they communicated in, in different words. Say something like this. Oh, let me make sure I understand you. You're saying that when this happened and this happened and I said this, you felt embarrassed and um, disrespected um, and, and unappreciated, you know, whatever. Okay? So you, you repeat it back to them. Is, did, I, did I catch you right? Is that what you're trying to communicate? Right? Now what you've done just by doing that is you've shut down your opportunity to give a rebuttal, to come back with some defense, and you've just intentionally slowed down to make sure you actually understood what they're saying. That little practice, you don't have to do that every time, but try that sometime, and it really helps to slow down the conversation, and it just helps me to make sure that I'm actually listening and not just building my response, okay? Something to, something to try. Number three, pray, pray. And pray together. This is part of building trust with one another. Not, not only praying separately, but pray together. Thank God for what He has given you in your spouse, in your prayers to God. Give thanks for the good things you do see in your spouse. And give thanks to God in their presence so they know you appreciate those things. Uh, ask God for help, right? Um, man, we so need His grace in marriage. And so pray together for God's grace as you seek to build trust. Uh, and pray for one another with each other as well. That, that just builds a whole lot of trust to know that you're both seeking God's help for each other's good. Um, that's a really unifying thing. Finally, restoring trust. Restoring trust. There are times in our relationships when trust is broken. And he mentions there's a couple ways this can happen. Sometimes it's shattered by years and years of small moment neglect, in little things that erode trust. Other times it's shattered by one huge moment of unfaithfulness or betrayal. Uh, but either way, because God is trustworthy and because God has entrusted himself to us, there is hope to rebuild trust in your marriage. Here's his little tips for that. First, admit your need. Some couples are more committed to protecting the reputation of their marriage outside their home than dealing with the real brokenness that exists inside it. Um, reaching out for help. Admitting that, hey, just, there's some brokenness going on here and we need help. Then actually get help. Go and get help. Reach out for someone who can hold you accountable. Um, when trust is broken, sometimes you need a third party who can uh, hold you accountable to your commitment to change. Someone to help you listen well and speak in a way that's productive. Someone who can help you negotiate those places where change is costly. Someone who will work with you in faith, even when your faith is weak. 
Letter C, don't give up. It's easy to think there's no way out. We're not going to be able to do this. My spouse is never going to change. Uh, you start fantasizing about life on the other side of marriage. You go kind of retreat into your own shell and your home becomes this motel where two people live but without any meaningful relationship. So don't give up. He just encourages you to keep pressing on, to stick out your neck, extend some trust, and seek to be trustworthy. That leads us to the next one, stick out your neck. Get back up again. Explains how there are times where, you know, when we're building trust, what we're looking for is not perfection. Right? I'm not demanding that they be perfect and as soon as they messed up, oh, that's it, I'm never trusting you again. No, building trust understands that there will be setbacks along the way. That's part of building trust. It's a, it's a, it's a process of change. It's a journey. So, of course, there are going to be setbacks. And we're not pursuing trust because they're worthy of it. We're pursuing trust because Christ is trustworthy and has entrusted himself to me. So keep getting back up and remember Jesus. When you're sinned against, remember that he paid for those sins. When you fail, remember that he paid for your sins, right? We keep looking to him and he becomes the foundation for extending trust and being trustworthy. All right. In our closing uh, seven minutes or whatever we have, you have a little uh, personal trust examination thing, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this is just for fun, so, you know, you will not be graded on this. Here's the rubric if you want to see. I, I, I want to put this up here. On the trustworthiness quiz, if you get a score of 60, you're like Jesus. Uh, anything between 0 and 59, you've got room to grow. So th that's, those are the basic two options. Um, for that one. And then for trustfulness, there, there are fewer questions there. So the top score is 45. If you get a perfect score, wow, way to go. You're like Jesus. Uh, zero to 44, you've got room to grow. So, so here's what I'd recommend that you do. If you have time, you know, I'll, I'll stop here and blabbering in just a moment. If you have time, go through the quiz yourself. Rate yourself one to five. I think the rubric is on there for you. See how you do. And then here's the really fun part. Then give it to your spouse and invite them to give their input, right? So they can rate you one to five in each of those categories and see how your scores compare. And if there's any difference in any category, uh, ask the Lord for humility to say to your spouse, oh, I, wow, I didn't realize there was a difference there. Help me understand what do you see that I could grow in this area or you seem to have more confidence in me in this area than I do or you know, whatever it may be. But that can provide for some fun, uh, fun conversation uh, in the future. You don't have to do that tonight. But anyway, that's a little game or uh, adventure for you to play. So dig into it if you like. And if you have time to discuss with your spouse, great. Uh, if not, do that at home at some point. So... Thanks for your good attention tonight. Uh, we'll be dismissed with that. And either do your quiz or you can go do other things too. Actually, let me close in prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We do just rejoice in uh, the way he is trustworthy and also entrusted himself to us. The sinless one uh, stuck out his neck, gave his life so that he could do good for us. Help us to follow this example in our marriages, not, not because our spouse is worthy, but because Christ has treated us this way and wants us to be people of integrity, 
wants us to be people who uh, develops trust and relationship in our marriages and our one flesh union. So help us to grow in these things. And we pray for your grace and your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. You are dismissed.